I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about The Devils. Before we get into this week's film, next week we are going to be watching a musical, Vincent Minnelli's An American in Paris. Gene Kelly has long been one of my favorite actor, director, producer people of that era, even though as a person he's kind of terrible. But, I mean, a lot of them were kind of terrible, so you give and you take, and Vincent Minnelli's work is always very beautiful and bright and colorful. Have you seen any of Vincent Minnelli's stuff? Yeah, maybe not. I don't think so. But yeah, he's definitely a uh, blind spot for me, for sure. It's fun. It's a good time. It's a really good time. I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Very different than uh, (laughs) what we watch this week. The Devils. Actually, have I seen any Vincent Minnelli movies? Oh, you know what? Maybe like last month I watched uh, Meet Me in St. Louis um, for the first time. That one's pretty good. Yeah, that one's pretty good. That one is pretty crazy, so... Yeah, Vincent um, anyway, yeah, Minnelli just... stuff. There's like this weird dreamlike quality to his work. I mean, it's so like... It, it goes hard. It does. <laughs> it really does. It. And Gene Kelly, you know, Sounds he's a good. crazy person, so... Yeah, I, I like him a lot. I mean, you know, Singing in the Rain, I love that movie. That's probably Ugh. one of the best movies ever made. Love Singing in the Rain. And I swear I've seen American Paris before, but both on IMDb and Letterboxd, it's not logged. Yeah. I'm not confident I've seen it before or not. Like, I have like specific moments in my head that i can think of but now i'm not sure if it's from that movie or if it's from just a very similar movie with gene kelly and he's also yeah. in paris because i mean that whole era they all string together all. pretty much yeah <laughs> it's all kind of just oh, one movie yeah. so yeah but you suggested the devils which you've seen before is that right oh yeah i've seen this movie before definitely yeah mm-hmm. when we were talking yeah. about it last time mm-hmm. you sort of described it as this holy mountain experience which is uh, yeah. the expectations I had going into it. And there's definitely parallels to be made between these two films for sure. But I am happy to say that I think it's a very different film. Than- no, I mean, it is. <laughs> it's just like, I, I just think there's a lot going on between both movies with religion. I think sure. they're very, very, the movies are very, very 70s. Their presentations are just um, unbelievable. It's just crazy. The Devils, you know, it's more... The Devil is based off a play, which is based off a book that was written by Aldous Huxley, like a nonfiction book. Really? So there's definitely more um, stuff, more history stuff going on. Uh, Holy Mountain is more kind of like a, it, it's like based, it's like based on like a thing, right? right? While Holy Mountain is more just kind of like this amalgamation of like, like a everything. dream experience. Yeah, which I, I love Holy Mountain. It's an amazing movie. But, you know, I think I like The Devils a little bit more than The Holy Mountain because I think there is like you know, probably a little bit more to grasp. And uh, the acting in it is amazing, too. The performances in this film are just absolutely spectacular. I mean, everyone goes absolutely insane in this movie, in a very insane movie. And I love that opening credits where they say everything in this movie actually happens. Yeah, sure. <laughs> true-ish, I mean, I guess. It probably, maybe not in the way that it Probably looks, not but exactly, yeah. but... The big ideas are there, right? And it doesn't really matter yeah. if it's true or not, but... Whatever. Even if it's true or not true, the sort of creation of the illusion of truth here that all this stuff actually happened and this is how the Catholic Church or these other churches and people interacted is not surprising. I don't think anyone's surprised by the mm-hmm. the trials and tribulations that were and continue to be the Catholic Church. But you grew up Catholic, didn't you, Andrew? Yeah, I did. Is this what being a Catholic's like? Yeah, I would say so. Definitely, yeah. Not too far <laughs> off. I, fu- I fucking love this movie, man. It's so good. 
You know, it was banned a lot. I can see that. A lot of reasons. That's why it's that's why I like the distrib- the distribution of the movie is kind of weird. The cut on Criterion that they have for the Ken Russell collection is like not an HD for some reason. I don't know why it's like that. I just think that like the movie has been like recut and fucked around with so much and it was like it got an X rating when it came out. You know, unfair. It's not a pornographic movie at all. No. There's a lot of nudity and there's quite a bit of violence, but there's not really it's not a pornographic film. So it's like not fair to give it like an X rating. And it's a and but probably more than any of that stuff too is that it's incredibly sacrilegious. That's probably the main thing. That's the the real reason why it's been banned in so many. It has nothing to do with the sex or the violence, because there's plenty of sex and violent movies. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's it's sex and violence that kind of has the sacrilegious goal. And people don't like that. People don't want to be told that religious sex aren't exactly what we want them to be. And this is about as dark. And although... Obviously, there's a lot terrible to be said about the Catholic Church and sort of hierarchy and these sort of things. But I don't necessarily think this is an anti-religious film. In fact, I would argue that in some ways, this is a very religious piece. And our protagonist here, uh, his faith is really a, a strong point in this piece. And I was really... No, definitely. ...torn by a lot of our characters here because I wasn't sure who to root for because they're all terrible people i mean there's no i'm rooting for oliver reed i'm rooting for oliver reed he's all he's the cool priest he's like a swagged out priest like that everyone loves and he's cool and he like has sex with like he has sex with like a bunch of people because he's just like i don't care he is very cool undeniably but he's also he's rocks at the beginning and of course this yeah is he does yeah he gets right? the, yeah like when she went yeah like he's kind of right like he's uh, he's dismissive of, he's dismissive he's manipulative yeah, he uses his power right, yeah. to get sex and more power and these sorts of things so he doesn't start out as a good person but then relative to everyone else in the piece because i think what makes him a good person at, at the core of it or quote-unquote good person whatever the hell that actually means is here's someone who has a belief in God and higher up, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And he is unwilling to let go of that belief despite mm-hmm. all the pain and suffering. And he does truly fall in love and he believes in that love and he gets married. I mean, that's the whole big thing. Yeah. He believes in his love so much he's willing to die for that love. And it's a weird, dark love story, but I think it is a really honest and true depiction of love and also what it means to be a man of faith, whatever that faith is. And this is speaking as someone who isn't Catholic by any means or Christian, but who holds some sort of faith or attempts to hold some sort of faith. And I think there's something weirdly inspiring, even if it is dark and I wouldn't say it's weird. I wouldn't say it's weird at all. I find it, uh, I admire a person who has strongly held beliefs and sticks to them. That's why the movie's kind of frustrating is because you have um uh the Oliver Reed character who has these like super strong beliefs and is essentially harmless for the most part. But because of things politics and power, he's destroyed by people who use Catholics use faith and their faith and religion to manipulate and use it like as kind of like this cynical like weapon um to get what they want. And we see that on both sides of the spectrum and there is this very real sort of separation between male and female sort of the dynamic and it reminds me of a much worse movie but has some great performances in it i think it's called doubt the movie with meryl streep and philip seymour hoffman 
think that's the yeah. name of the movie. He's like a Catholic guy and he doesn't and they don't know if he's raped children or not. But the point I'm trying to make here is in doubt, there's this juxtaposition between the nuns and the priests where the priests mm -hmm. sort of lavish in wealth and they're eating these hefty meals, steak and these sort of things. Mm -hmm. And the nuns are very they're cloistered cloistered. They, yeah, they don't eat anything story. or do anything. And, and there's that great moment early on when we're first introduced to the nuns and they're all trying to see the priest. They're like sexually, so they're extremely sexually repressed as well, which extremely. is a big part of the movie. Which as the head nun person points out, when yeah. one of the people tries to become a nun, she's like, most people that are here aren't here because of their faith. They're not just like, you know, these virgins who are like, oh, I, I want to be Christian. They're mostly yeah, it's a great speech. Here, which also just sort of mirrors the way uh, men and women are treated in the world of then and the and in the world of now where women are, are sent there because they are too sexually active right because mm -hmm. they they do the things that they want to do and so their punishment is to become these cloistered creatures that are literally i mean imprisoned the nunnery looks yeah they're in prison prison that he has like all of the makings of a prison mm -hmm. and the way they march around and the way they do things it's very mm -hmm. reminiscent of just this awful, terrible place. And and, and it doesn't help, too, that their leader, uh, Jean Agnes, is like, she's uh, she's also quite crazy. It, it, everybody is crazy. Everybody's now, like, totally, like, lost their minds. And Jean Agnes, she's so sexually repressed. You know, she's essentially 100% in love with Grandier. And she to the point where she fantasized. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, she yeah. literally fantasized him as literally being Jesus Christ. And yeah, like it, it would that would probably like happen to a person, right? Because it's like like if you're like a cloistered nun in like the 17th century France, there's very I feel like there's very little information that you're taking in, at least compared to like the world we live in now. So I feel like yeah, you would like be having like dreams all the time about like Jesus and this or that. Like you would be like hallucinating, quote unquote hallucinating things all the time about these things which again is why like the witch hunting thing is also is also like um frustrating because it's like oh they're witches i don't know if you were like cloistered and trapped like in this place where all you did was read the bible and pray and not do anything else pretty much that yeah you probably would be like hallucinating or having weird dreams or yeah i can't help but be reminded of the explorers and adventurers who spend months or even years in the Arctic or Antarctica and the descriptions of these individuals when you read their journals about having these extremely vivid and colorful hallucinations because they're constantly just staring at the blank white snow. And it's the same thing happening here is they're, yeah. I mean, both literally staring at these blank white walls and white floors. And then also their entire world is just the Bible and that's it. They don't talk to anyone in the outside world. I mean, there's literally bars in yeah. front of them whenever they try to communicate with the outside yeah. world. They don't experience anything that anyone else experiences. That one time they try to experience the rest of the world towards the beginning when they try to see him and the death of a priest. Is that someone who is that who died? Someone died. Yeah, the, like the leader of their little town, yeah. the leader Pierre? of their uh, their fortification, like he dies. I think he's like a priest or something. And so now now Grandier is like in charge, which is like the beginning of the movie, which is why they want to destroy him. They want to take down the, the town. I love how Grandier's main interest isn't power because it would be so easy to make this movie. Oh, he comes up to power and now he's trying to grab. Yeah, more. 
Yeah. But he's completely uninterested in anything other than his small town. And we see that juxtaposition. I mean, the opening scene isn't even with them. Yeah. It's with the king and the cardinal, I believe. Or yeah, it's like a king and a cardinal. They they want to destroy like all these little like um fortifications in France um and unite, quote unquote, unite everyone because they're like afraid of Protestants essentially. I love that moment. And I, I think a first time watcher may just miss how funny this movie is because it's so twisted and dark. No, it's really funny. But it is a really funny movie, especially in some of the editing. Like, we'll off. talk about the Protestants. And then there's that cut to the burned man swinging or spinning yeah. on that. that's a crazy cut <laughs> yeah really. and like that, that those like the I, I like too they have the shots at the beginning and the end where it's just like a wide plane out from the city and yeah you have like mm-hmm. the we're assuming protestants on like spinning wheels that are really high those are great great shots something truly incredible set design and just a giant and beautiful world that they built for this film and you really feel like you're in a 16th century or 17th century whatever century that they're supposed to be 17th century 17th century so 1600s type of world i mean it doesn't feel like one of those pieces where everyone has these giant costumes that are sort of trying to win an oscar or this or that like it feels as if we are part of this world and incredible that wall that they build looks amazing and that's yeah it looks like a real wall thing it looks like a real wall and they're tearing it, it looks it like down. a fortified it looks like a yeah like a fortified city of some sort like, like that, wait, wait. i wonder if this was a real thing though all those people walking on that wheel like that hamster wheel do you think that was a real thing that, that was probably existed? a real thing they probably had like yeah <laughs> they probably had horrible like torture devices that even you and i can never conceive of um <laughs> in order to torture protestants and black people and stuff like that i like the the the, the funniest characters are like the they're not doctors they're the medical they're quote-unquote doctors right they have the long nose the right they're people, like right? um yeah right and the plague is going on at the same time too sort yes. of more or less so like there are like piles of bodies everywhere too disgusting. and it's disgusting Ugh. yeah they're like plague doctors and like yeah and there's that scene at the beginning right where he meets his uh, future wife and her like loved one is like dying horribly and they're using like bees it's like what the fuck like when you're shoved into that scene you're just like man i don't know what, what the fuck <laughs> is going on <laughs> like but that's like legitimately yeah, that's like, the kind of that's stuff like, that's that some real did. shit yeah because they didn't like know what else to do and they're just like i guess this will work they just kept trying stuff. But it just makes it worse. Like, <laughs> Just makes their lives much more painful. I mean, I imagine the plague was already painful enough. But then to test all of these terrible ideas, because doctors yeah. didn't fucking know what was going on. There was no fucking The concept of science or... has barely been invented. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Science itself was a brand new thing. So these doctors, they had other sh- they're hilarious because they're just yeah. clearly making shit up as they go along. Right. I'm trying to think of some of the funny shit that they do or like some of the crazy shit that they do. The alligator. The alligator. Yeah. Where it's like that, that, that is such a weird 70s thing. Like with the alligator there, it's like, what is this doing? Very like there's a rubber he, alligator. He throws it out the window. Oh, it's so good. Again, once again, like the one of the main reasons to watch the movie is the central Oliver Reed performance, who's one of the greatest actors of all time who ever lived. Mm-hmm. He was like a very British, he's like a British Orson Welles. He really um, is. Wait, wait. Orson Welles is British. No. Oh, he's not? Oh. No, okay. Orson I thought Welles, he was. I'm actually reading his biography right now. Orson Welles grew up in, I think he grew up in sort of like the New Hampshire, Vermont area. And then he oh, moved okay. to like near New York, Connecticut. Okay, okay. Private school. All right. Well, yeah, then my statement was correct. He's then like a British Orson really Welles. Yeah. yeah, he's like a British Orson <laughs> Welles. Like he really, he kind of, he's like the same shape. He's got kind of like the similar voice. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know, like Orson Welles, he had a very tumultuous life. In this movie, he's just great. He has so much power in in his uh, performance. Yeah, I think so much of this film perhaps not depends on Oliver Reed, but the weight of the film is really up to him. And I think without that incredible performance, this film would probably, it would bear down on the shoulders too strongly of most actors. And so it really takes a lot for someone to be able to Mm -hmm. perhaps not carry the movie because there's incredible performances all around and great direction, great sound design, and everything is incredible going on. But to sort of be at the forefront uh, of this film and to yeah. balance <clears throat> the horrible actions and the silly things. And I think this is a really hard thing to do, which it's a question of when do we lean into sort of the, the silliness of something versus when are we serious and not taking either of those lightly. Because I think you could make this film where it is just so absurd and silly that you lose the darkness of it. And then on the opposite end, it could be so dark because there are so many dark scenes that you lose sort of this whimsical absurdity that's also there. And there's this great balance here that mm-hmm. Oliver Reed, I think, is sort of the the guy who holds this whole thing there. He's the glue, as it were, mm-hmm. that holds these two separate parts together. He's just great. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, he's just like, he's just a great character and he's so much yelling and he's just uh he goes all the way with it and i really like but of course you know i of course like we talked about you know the the um the head nun you know she's really good uh, uh sister jean diagnes uh she's of course really good too and um you know of course she's kind of like the the ensuing person that essentially mm-hmm. caps off the whole movie right where you know she's like upset that like he's he's getting married and stuff she's extremely jealous and she um has like visions of him and she tells a guy who doesn't like Grandier that she's been having these visions and then he basically like goes right in and is just like are these like exorcists like are you being are you being possessed by the devil through Grandier did Grandier like do this to you and she's basically just like she doesn't say yes right away right like she doesn't really uh, say that she kind of suggests it and then yeah. she is like tortured a little bit and then she eventually until she uh, admits it until she admits it yeah which is Sort of the wild thing about her character, which is another incredible performance here, is she's angry at him because he's getting married and she feels possessive of him in this way, as if he's wronged her personally. But they've never met each other. They've never met her. She has never had a conversation, which he points out. He's like, I have never met this woman before. I have never seen this woman. Of course, no one believes him. Although it also, I guess it makes the exorcism all the more believable because they're like oh well if you never met him then clearly this must be yeah. the work of the <laughs> devil or, or what have you and her motives are so fascinating because she wants to hurt him but then she also wants to protect him at the same time so she wants to stop this marriage from happening but then when she yeah. realizes sort of the the shit that she has put herself in she tries to resist but the torture is uh-huh. pretty freaking off i mean we don't see all the torture of course they have we see all their instruments and what the what we (laughs) think that they might do and yeah it's pretty bad and and some incredible sound design here where you're just like flinching yeah that's bad just like gross and slimy and all this great stuff so even though she's sort of the thing that brings him down she doesn't want to be this thing and yet she becomes the very thing that Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to become while sort of i would say some of our other characters are a little more calculating Perhaps my favorite character in this piece is the guy who does the exorcisms, the John Lennon. That guy, guy is fucking awesome. Yeah, no, he he looks like <laughs> that, that guy. Someone made a joke about it on Twitter the other day, but that guy is like that guy's like he's like straight out of the 60s. 
<laughs> right? Like he, he's like yeah. a guy that came time traveled from the sixties <laughs> to the movie. Like he doesn't really look like a guy from the seventeenth century. He looks like a hippie from the sixties. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, but he but he's a great actor and he's really really good. He really does believe in like the fact that like Grandier Grandier is like a devil worshiper witch guy or whatever and so he's completely he completely believes that and he just completely um loses it the whole movie every minute he's on screen he's probably another one of the few characters he's like similar to grandier where like they're both like they both have total belief in their faith and he does too the exorcist guy but he's like being used by like the evil like government catholic church agents right to Mm -hmm. to meet their ends and I was going to make the exact same point that you made is sort of how Grandier and our exorcist are sort of two sides of the same coin, where here are two people yeah. who legitimately believe that they are doing the right thing. And they are so hellbent on their own faith, even to the destruction of themselves and others. And I think what's so fascinating about him is just like Grandier, he genuinely believes that when he's doing these exorcists that he's doing the right thing he doesn't think he he cannot get past this idea that the devil has consumed these people and obviously the nuns are in on it they're they're clearly like we're just gonna do whatever the fuck we have to do to not be tortured and killed i mean it's very clearly they're, they they do whatever they gotta do and, and there is that moment where the nuns are all wrapped in that giant grave and they're all about to be shot almost like a twinkle in his eye when he sort of realizes what he's doing like he he kind of sees the political into it and yet there's something about it because we see it there at the end when grandier gets burned alive is he still believes that what he's doing is the right thing he doesn't see the political sort of underbelly of it which somehow makes him almost worse than the king or the cardinal because at least the cardinal and the mm-hmm. king they know that they're evil and they know that they're doing evil things and i love that moment where the king comes yeah. in with the box <laughs> that he gives to yeah he like fucks with them that's such a weird scene it's such a strange moment because you think he's like he's like he doesn't give a fuck he doesn't he doesn't care the king yeah. could not care less either way so he defrauds him and yet still grandier is burned alive even after this fraud is revealed like no one yeah. believes it which is wild because like the king it's almost like the king's in this different world that no one else seems to see because the king to him, he's like, I have just defrauded you. You are all clearly lying. You have no idea what you're talking about. And yet they still continue on that exorcist route for the rest of the film and still burn him alive for the exact thing. Yeah, it just makes everything like even more crazier and more insane, which mm-hmm. like I also too love like the the church set piece, which is what we're in for most of the part where yeah. like all everybody, the fervor that everybody has where it's like the nuns are like, they're like naked and they're running around and stuff like that. And they're taking down like like uh the crucifix and stuff and that whole room and like the design of it looks amazing and you know everybody's like kind of like watching it off to the side again back in the 17th century there probably wasn't a lot to do so it was just kind of like <laughs> what are you gonna do today well i mean because there's this thing happening i'm gonna go <laughs> over there and stand and watch like you know it's just like that's pretty much your t- tv i mean that's why people watched public executions and burnings right yeah I, it's like, I'm convinced I don't know that's part of the reason why they even had them is because yeah. people just needed something to do, and so let's just yeah. go watch well, someone be executed anyway. So yeah, <laughs> might as well. Again, that church set piece is just fucking crazy, and it is so just like the trial that Grandier is given 
is just like ridiculous, right? Like the whole thing is just like it's just one of those movies where it's like kind of like a frustrating movie because it's like it's one of those like kind of like frustrating like law kind of kind of like Mandabi in that way. You know yeah, what I mean? Like Mind- yeah, yeah. It's like a frustrating like from bad to worse kind of situation where like we let and and you know it's a movie where we know that he's innocent. Like he didn't really do anything wrong in the instances that he can't even like. It's funny too because like. Grenier did do things wrong, like he impregnated that young girl and everything, but they want revenge, right? So they're putting all their weight, but they can't really like do anything about it. So they're putting all their weight into getting him accused of being a witch or whatever, being like a, like a devil worshiper or whatever. I love this thing where they go, oh, oh another uh, room I like is his uh, apartment. I love his apartment, yeah. his home. They <laughs> his knock everything down. Crazy <laughs> that scene where they knock everything down. Yeah, that's a wonderful moment where he's flipping out because no matter what he does, he is sort of doomed. And yet he holds on to this faith so tightly and this belief in God and his benevolence that even when things are clearly doomed for him, I mean, it's clear that whatever he does, he's fucked. Even then, he is convinced that he's going to be saved. I mean, he keeps telling his wife over and over and over again, God's going to save us. God's good. And he just can't see the political because they give him chances to just say whatever. Well, he does see it, but he just he can't let go. He cannot. I mean, I guess he can see it to a certain extent, but I think part of him is blinded by his own faith for better or worse. Well, I think he doesn't he like at, at least a couple times like say to everyone, like, look what they're doing. Like they're it's a sham. Right. Like it's a show trial. They're trying to like they're trying to take the city. Yeah. So I, I guess he sees it on that end. But like he doesn't see that he has if he wants to survive, if he wants his city to survive, he has to be part of the game. He refuses to accept that this is how his world works. He wants to live in a world where people are good. And they do good for the good of mankind. Yeah, and like don't lie and all this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he accepts that he has sinned. He accepts that he's done wrong things. Yeah. And he admits to those things. And when they yeah. torture him, like those are the things he admits to. He says, like, I, <laughs> right. I, I like, had confess. Sex. And he's like, yeah, I admit that I did this and this and this. And they're like, no, no, no that's not what we want. <laughs> oh, that moment where they're smashing his his knees. Yeah. Oh, the sound. Oh. Like the sound of when they like the hit him, and then, and then when he yells, like his screaming, ah, uh, that combination is great. It's such amazing. <laughs> it's such a cinematic moment. It's almost as awful as it is. You're kind of like, wow. Yeah, it is like this is this is That's why crazy. we watch movies. This is why we make movies. You know, like this is one of the moment. This is one of the the moments in history. This is a cinema moment, and you're so lost in it, even though simultaneously it is awful and, and terrible and. And it makes you cringe. You, you can't help but be amazed by just everything mm-hmm. involved. Yeah, they like cut off all his hair too. Sure they do. Put him in the big robes. It's weird. Like the the for some reason, like the the court or whatever, like the judges, they're like they look they're like dressed up in like Kuka KKK looking yeah, outfits. Yeah, I guess that was. I'm unaware of this. Thing? Maybe they did actually look like that. I don't know. It feels right for some reason. I don't know why that. No, feels it definitely does. Right. No, everything <laughs> is good. No, everything looks great and is well chosen and outfit. You know, everything looks great. I love the way that court looks, especially because you have all of the extras in the background, the townspeople. Mm-hmm. They're all wearing those really cool bird masks or masquerade masks. Yeah, they're like wearing masks. Because I guess you don't want to be seen just in case the person's innocent, I think is the idea. So it's sort of this okay. way participating in the execution or lack of execution right. without having to feel yeah. the guilt. Because they do the same thing when they go to the ex 
the exorcism is all of the people who watch are also wearing those really cool bird masks and masquerade mm-hmm. masks. I s- suppose it's to hide like who's who or what have you. No, again, that room, that uh, that area, you know, you're in there for a while, but it's great. It feels like a, like an amorphous changing room. It's crazy. I have to admit my heart was a bit broken that this is a film I couldn't experience in a theater because it's so Yeah, big. it's wide. It's a very wide. <laughs> it's It's got that yeah. modern Denis Villeneuve, you know, everything's giant and you just want to see it on a giant screen in like an IMAX theater. And yeah. you just wish you could have that sort of experience with this. I mean, it's fine watching it on a TV and you can still enjoy it and all the sound and all of that. But I can only imagine going to a theater and just seeing the giant walls and all of the yelling and mm-hmm. screaming and, you know, Dolby. And it would just be such a, a wonderful experience to have. And I don't think all experiences need to be shown in a theater, although I think it increases all experiences. But this is definitely something that I really wish we could go to a theater and see because it is such yeah. a a truly cinematic experience. Yeah, it's kind of like what all like movies are about. I just really like this. I, I just think like a movie like this is just it kind of like this is like intersection of all these different things like religion, politics, history, sex, violence, torture, you know, spectacle, theater, all these things like they kind of like meet like at this intersection in the movie. And that to me is what movies are all about, right? It's not just about one thing. It's about so many other. So it's about so many things. And yet it feels so cohesive and it feels like you just travel back in time, <laughs> you know, and and that's kind of hard. And not, and not that like, it's like, oh, it's so accurate. It's so this or that. But 17th century is probably a fucking science fiction planet compared to where we really? live today. Making a movie where it really truly feels like you're in a different place entirely even though we just went back in time on the same planet. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I guess to like mention more contemporary director. Who's the witch director? I already forgot his name. Oh, Robert um, Eggers. Yeah, like a Robert Eggers movie or something like that. That's probably kind of like the the uh, the Northman. It's maybe like another movie I would say is kind of like this, but obviously different places and things going on. Yeah, that's probably a good contemporary comparison to make. And like those films, it feels as if we're in this place in time without it feeling sort of peacocky almost i think especially when we talk about modern creations of 16th 17th 18th century is they're so excited by the bright colors and the dresses and the castles and all these things that kind of just feels like we're showing off and how impressive our Mm -hmm. costume design and set design is and you don't actually feel part of the era it just feels like modern people dressed in the costume of that era it's like it's like it's like we're a walt disney world or something exactly and so many of those feel like that where this and perhaps too it's just the ability to to recognize famous actors and of course oliver reed but otherwise i mean not that there aren't big names in this but maybe just because it's older and it's more detached but i still feel as if i am in this world and i i think that's the real reason as you're kind of saying it's almost like this science fiction piece because instead of just saying it's our world but 400 years ago they're recognizing that well like the world 400 years ago was a fundamentally different world and so it is sort of traveling to another space and time and we need to sort of look at it like that which i think they do a great job of doing that i mean even their speech i know it's based off of a play so i'm sure they Mm -hmm. adapt a lot of the dialogue and incredible writing i mean as someone who is currently reading macbeth with my kids it sounds like something that was written during that time period even though of course it is a more modern writing Mm -hmm. so just a a really 
incredible use of dialogue and language mm -hmm. and properly using, which they don't often, language of the era and the way people spoke to each other. Like a Shakespeare play, it's a very tragic uh, ending. Uh, a, a very languished, long mm. ending, you know, just because <laughs> it's like you get to the trial part of the movie and like you already know the decision that they've made. Yeah. And so then they make the decision that he will be put to death and then he's tortured more and they're like, you need to confess. And he's like, I'm not going to do it. And then they they're like, all right, we're going to burn you at the stake. And that whole scene is incredible. I mean, after watching him being tortured and his head shaved and all this and he's he's walking down. And you can see on the townspeople's faces, they sort of, they see the sham for what it is at this point. I mean, through all this, they sort of believed yeah, it. Yeah, everybody kind of has, everybody kind of has like a change of heart all of a sudden. Yeah, they they get it. Like they see him and they, and they realize what's going on. And one of the executioners says, oh, I have a noose and I'm going to strangle you before they actually light the flames because it'll be a much safer uh, death yeah <laughs> and of course again the exorcist guy's like confess 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 he really wants yeah. him to confess yeah he's all he's <laughs> but i mean he holds true he doesn't confess and they light the fucking wood and all that shit and of course the rope the noose is broken or cut or whatever whether it's on the, purpose the, or by accident yeah he like the, the guy the priest guy who's like related to the girl who got pregnant he breaks mm -hmm. it because i think he's like he, right. I think he has like a change of heart or something like that. And, he, and that moment when it's so beautiful, but weirdly enough, where he's being burned alive and everything is you're looking through the fire. It's as if you are literally in hell at that moment. And it's yeah, through it's these the flames. Hell. Yeah, through know? his eyes, like with the flames. Yeah. In front of in front of everything. Yeah. And it's and you can see like the maniacal laughing and of course the the lighting and all this stuff going on. And it is such a terrible and awful and heart-wrenching moment and yet so satisfying in this weird way because even though yeah grandier is being burned alive in a way he kind of won because despite everything despite the fact that he was tortured and is being murdered and it's terrible he mm -hmm. he held true to his beliefs to the very end and in a certain way he beat them i mean sure he's dead and they're gonna tear down the city and the inevitable i, I guess like inevitable. if a heaven exists if a heaven like exists, he would probably be in it. And in the universe of the world, if heaven is real, he would be there. And pretty much everybody who perpetrated his demise <laughs> would be in hell. Is pretty much that's sort of that that like assumption that idea is kind of like operating in the background a little bit. Absolutely, it's this question of what it actually means to be godly of God of ascending to heaven, and it not being about oh, I know the most quotes in the Bible or. I'm this high up in the church, but rather your ability to stick to your faith and your belief in that faith is sort of what separates a godly person from an ungodly person, no matter your religion or belief. And we watch him burn alive. And then we have that final scene, which mimics, of course, one of the opening scenes where his wife walks out of the city, the the torn down wall, right? They tear down the wall and, and she walks out. Uh, into the distance and, and the credits roll by as she's sort of walking away and there's almost this hopefulness that she will sort of spread his love and hope and faith and continue on despite what everyone has done despite the fact that they've torn down this town they sort of destroyed the city but the faith yeah. is still intact somehow. It's not a fun ending because you're basically still on Earth and Earth is basically hell. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, you have like the wife, she comes like, she like leaves 
the town. And of course, you have that great shot of her leaving the town. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's like at that point, it's like, like, what else could you do but leave? She doesn't have any lines. She doesn't say anything like this or that. Uh, she just basically like kind of like stumbles out into basically nothing, right? It's like kind of like it's just kind of like a wasteland, the Fran the French wasteland. You know, I think it's just kind of like kind of like selling the idea that Earth is hell. Like it's a hellish world. Hell already exists. Like we've made it. We make it again. Like things like faith and love. You know, they can kind of transcend where we are, but sometimes it can't, and and it ends in our demise. It's sad, but it can kind of be an inspiring story, which it kind of is. It's like that one novel to that one Japanese novel, Silence, which was mm. adapted into a Scorsese movie. Scorsese kind of has like similar yeah. stuff going on too. Should we bring us to our final thoughts then? I feel like we've... Yeah, I think I think we summed it up. I will say there's nothing about this film not to love. Performance-wise, set design, music, sound design, everything about it, direction is just top tier i mean it's the reason we watch movies it's the reason we make movies and i, I was so skeptical going into this piece because i, I have my qualms with the holy mountain and so i, I was expecting a similar experience and i understand that the similarities of it when what you were saying like, i see that but i am just really moved by this piece and just touched in a way then I'm not by a lot of films, especially because this is sort of a topic that isn't something that often interests me, this idea of faith. I don't watch a lot of films about faith and don't think a lot about faith, but this is a film that legitimately sort of made me kind of look inward and think about what my own idea of faith is and belief and what it means to be sort of part of this human race and to be good and and sort of continue on whatever it is that we do. So... All that being said, I think I'm going to give this film a very strong 9 out of 10. Yeah, I'm going 10 out of 10. It's just an unbelievable movie. Its existence is just uh, incredible and fascinating. I think all movies are about faith. Mm. I think every movie is about faith. And yeah, I just think like a movie like this, you know, it just has what I was talking about earlier with it. You know, it, it just has so much going on. It's very dense, but it, it's a movie too. When I was watching it, it's just like, you know, sometimes like I'll, I'll watch a movie with my partner. And we'll like talk about the movie as we're watching it or whatever. But yeah. The Devils is like a good example of a movie in which you're, where we're just like kind of watching it and we're just like, we don't, we've seen, we've both seen it before, but we're, we'll, we'll watch it and it's just like, we won't even say anything during the mm -hmm. movie because I also think that the, uh, the, the tempo of the movie, it just, it, it forbids you from like talking during it for some reason. Like it completely <laughs> just wraps you up in it. I don't know. There's, it's like kind of like this like reverence thing, but you're also just like really attached to it. You're just like, okay, what's going on? You don't want to miss anything that's going on because it's such a dense movie just in terms of everything that's going on in terms of like the story and the visuals. There's no movies like this that are made. Well, I, I get, I say that, but you know, um, and I'm also reminded of the movie Benedetta, the last Paul Verhoeven movie. Right. And um, that movie is very similar but still, you know, it doesn't have the 70s, like, <laughs> look and feel to it, yeah. uh, which is, of course, now, which can never really be replicated. Mm -mm. So, yeah, to me, it's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's perfect. All right, y'all. Thank you, as always, for listening. And you can find everything I do at Austin Lugo. I'm on Letterboxd at RetroAndrew, R-E-T-R-0, Andrew. And you can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and, of course, YouTube. And with nothing to say, thank you all for listening. Thanks. Thanks.